want to give you a little more of an update. Remember a few weeks ago, uh, I was up here and I said, hey, we'll, in the coming weeks, we'll be giving you some updates as to how this church planting, kingdom advancing, site reproducing um, calling and project that the community has embarked on is going. Um, and so I want to just give you a little more information. If, if you're not, if you weren't here a few weeks ago, or if you're not familiar with what's going on, uh, community has heard the call to become a multiplying church. Um, what that means is in, in a church plant, we are reproducing ourselves, and the goal is to plant planting churches who plant churches who plant churches who plant churches, all for the sake of kingdom expansion, all for the sake of God's glory being proclaimed, but ultimately it's so those who have no life because they don't know Christ uh, can be introduced to Jesus, be, be wooed by the Spirit, and come to commune with him as we just did uh, this morning. And so this first endeavor that we have, uh, this first church plant that we are a part of, um, <clears throat> it's wonderful. I know the, question, the first questions are these things. They're, they're uh, A, uh, where are you located? And B, what time is service? Neither of those two things matter right now. There are other things that we're taking care of, so we don't know where exactly we're going to be. We don't know what time worship services are going to take place. Those are things down the road. What we do know right now, north side of Holland, Gospel Community Church will be the title. We'll be a, a daughter church, a site of community, um, and we're thrilled. So I wanted to share with you uh, two ways God has blessed us and then ask you to continue to pray uh, for our vision and launch team as we head into this, uh, this first quarter of, of 2018. And I say head into it even though we're in February because coming out of the holidays, I was away in a conference and then the flu hit and it's, it just feels like we're just starting now. Um, but number one, uh, yes, uh, plants cost money. However, let me tell you this, we were asked to, <clears throat> we were asked to come up with launch funds Okay. We were able to, to come up with launch funds for this project, for this plant, um, and God has provided either in a giving, an offering, excuse me, uh, a gift above and beyond, or in pledged money, those startup costs already. And today, in an account here at Community, there is nearly $70,000 uh, setting ready to go for this church plant. So praise God, he has provided. Uh, but then also, we said one of the benchmarks for this plant and future plants will be, we want to see 50 people from Community committed to going and being a part of this, to advancing God's kingdom in this way. Um, <clears throat> We now, to date, have 37 of those 50 who said, yeah, I think that this is exactly what God wants me to do. Now, those numbers are great, right? And they sound wonderful. Let me put this in perspective. When I share these numbers with the denomination uh, while, while I'm going about training, they're flabbergasted at what God is doing through this body in regards to planting and reproducing and becoming a multiplying church. So thank you for your prayerful support. Thank you for your continued prayers. Uh, and if God's nudging you, let me know, uh, and we can chat, have a cup of coffee. Um, I won't make you come with us, but, um, but if that's what God's doing, let's discern that together. So thanks. Trent, how about you come on up here? Let me pray for you, and we can get into the Word. If you don't know, um, this is the first day that our lead pastor has preached live at all four of our services. I said I didn't make it in time for the breakwater. This is not the first day <laughs> that our pastor has preached live. 
So let's just pray for him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and the fact that it is going to go out right now and it will not return void. So right now, just like your blessing over Aaron, we ask that like oil on his forehead, you pour a blessing out on your servant Trent, that he can be faithful to your word, that he can be confident in the study and the preparation that he has done because we know that the study, or not the study, we know that the preparation that you've done in him, in us, for this moment is always sufficient. So Father, speak. We're here to listen. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Nate. Mm -hmm. Morning. I'm going to try to not show the chaos that I'm feeling. Um, I finished up about four minutes ago in the mosaic, and that was really cool. Uh, We're going to be in the gospel according to Matthew chapter 12, the first several verses. And I want to tell you a couple things before we get into it. One is I'll be talking about Sunday, but I understand I'm just, I'm just trying to make that contextual for us that our Sabbath observance is usually considered Sunday, the Lord's day. Um, that's the day that Jesus resurrected. So that's when Christians started meeting, but the fourth commandment tells us to keep the Sabbath day, holy, the seventh day. Um, so we'll read the Sabbath, but I will, I will speak to us in our context of Sabbath, not the Hebrews context of Sabbath. The other thing that I want you to know is, uh, going in is that I'm going to use some Southern colloquialisms, uh, just because they seem to work at least for me. Um, one of them is, uh, you remember, if you, if you grew up going to church, you probably remember when your parents would say, you need to put on your Sunday best. Or when you started wearing jeans to church, someone didn't like that because you're supposed to put on your best for God. I get that. Um, in the South, going to church in some areas of the South is going to meeting. Okay, going to a meeting, going to meeting. So your Sunday best is Sunday go to meeting clothes. Okay, so... I'm going to talk about this guy in this passage about putting on a Sunday go to meeting tunic, and I just want you to understand what I mean. Um, <clears throat> the other thing that you should recognize or that I would like you to recognize is, is some of the ways the Sabbath had been perverted from the time that God gave the Ten Commandments. See, so, yeah, when, when Moses came down the mountain and God said, this is how I want you to be a holy people, Love God, love others, but then there's that fulcrum, right? In the, you know, number four, and that's take a break. If God created in six days and rested on the seventh, He says to us, rest. Give creation a break from your toiling, and give yourself a break from your toiling. It's a way when Jesus says, "Man does not live on bread alone." That's what He's saying. We don't have to strive all the time because God provides. So we're supposed to have a day where we rest. What the Pharisees had done, and I'm not condemning them, I think they do a pretty good job of that themselves in this passage. But what the Pharisees had done, they, they were the, I hate this term, they were the good Christians of their day. They were the good Jews. Because most people had taken the law of God and the commandments and taken those to mean just when you're at the temple worshiping. And the Pharisees set out with a noble, a noble purpose. They set out to say, no, the law of God is for how we're living, not just how we engage in worship. And so the Pharisees tried to make it so the law of God was something practiced not just day to day, but literally minute by minute. 
And what happened though, what always happens when we start trying to do things and be more holy, we find it, we, we, we can kind of turn it into a way to make us more holy than others. It's a way of seeing how someone else is doing something wrong and we're not, so we're going to call them out on it. Here's some examples of, of Sabbath rules that aren't of God, but that the Pharisees had created, a way to separate themselves from others. One of the things was that you weren't allowed to walk or travel a mi- more than a mile from your home on the Sabbath. So your synagogue was local. Everybody was kind of local. You weren't allowed to travel more than a mile because that would be considered, I don't know, enjoyable. But here's what they did. They, they started tweaking it so that they started figuring out ways to bend their own rules. If you brought something from your home, let's say you had a chalice in your home and you had to travel on the Sabbath to go see a friend and they were two miles away. If you brought this chalice with you and at that mile marker, put it down, that's now your home and you can travel another mile. So it, it got weird. Okay. And we do this too. In the, in the tradition that I was in before I came here, Sabbath observance was a big deal. Sunday worship, Sunday, you had to frame your Sabbath. You start in the morning with worship, you end with worship. And you could, on Sunday, I mean, there were some people that took it really seriously, which, was, which is awesome as long as it's out of gratitude in your heart to God. They cooked all their meals on Saturday night so that they didn't have to toil. Even mom didn't have to work on Sunday. And that you could fill up your car if you, were, if you couldn't get to church because you were so low on gas, you were allowed to stop and fill up your car on the way to church. Or if you're on vacation because no one's going to see you. Um, you could go to Meyer for a prescription, but you couldn't go there to shop. You could play, you could swim in the lake because God made the lake, but you could not swim in the pool because man made the pool and you're causing someone to work. You could have a catch or play catch, but you couldn't play in this, what we call in the South, hot box, up here, pickle. You couldn't play a game because that might be enjoyable, but you could recreate, but you couldn't enjoy. And my favorite one, you've probably heard this from me before, was a Sabbath rule that you could eat white chocolate, but not brown colored chocolate on Sunday morning, on Sunday. Show me that in here. I figured it out. Because you frame your Sabbath in worship, you have your Sunday go-to-meeting clothes on, white shirt, right? And if, if you're a kid and you're eating brown-colored chocolate, it's going to end up on your clothes. But that became a thing about righteousness. You, you, you couldn't spend money on the Sabbath, but you could let someone else spend money for you. It just got strange. But we do it. We tend to do it to, to, so we can say we're more holy than someone else. So all of that stuff is going on here. The Pharisees are representing all the rules. Jesus is representing God. And I want you to notice the difference. This isn't just about what Jesus does. It's about who Jesus is. The last thing that Jesus said before this passage is this. It's not on your screen. This is the spirit that he's talking to people about. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. One of the things he's talking about, that burdensome thing, is all of these rules. And it says here that at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pick 
some heads off of grain and eat them. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. That exclamation point on look tells us the tone that they were using. Not just look. It's not that. It's look. It's an accusation. It's a finger point. Your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath because picking a piece, a head off of a piece of grain is work. And he answered, haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Now that's a reference. If you want to see that it's first Samuel chapter 21, verse six, or haven't you read in the law that the Sabbath that haven't you read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple desecrate the day and yet are innocent. Now, here, here's what he means, just so you know. We'll put it in, in, in our context. If you are observing Sunday, the Lord's Day, as a Sabbath day, then you're not to work. But that doesn't count for pastors and church workers. We work. In fact, it's not our longest day, but it's our biggest day of the week. It is not possible for me as a pastor who's preaching to rest on the Sabbath. And so someone might go by my neighborhood later on this afternoon. Some of you live in my neighborhood and see me blowing snow off my driveway on the Sabbath. I'm not having people over for Super Bowl. I'm not. Just me and Lynn. But I didn't do it this morning because I'm preparing for worship. And someone might say, how, oh, a pastor on the Sabbath. Well, folks, Sunday's not my Sabbath. Friday's my Sabbath. Friday's the day I strive not to strive. Friday's the day that I'm reminded that God is God and I'm not. And the world is just fine. The church is just fine without me for a while. The priests work on the Sabbath. Therefore, they desecrate the Sabbath. But they're, they're innocent of breaking that commandment. I tell you that one greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what these, word mean, these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I believe that's Hosea 6.6. 6. You would not have condemned the innocent for the son of man is the Lord of the Sabbath. And folks, here's another contextual thing. You might already know this, but in, in, in our minds, if we're Christian, when someone says, who is Jesus? Well, he's the son of God. We love that. But elsewhere in the Old Testament, people are called sons of God. But nowhere in the Old Testament is anyone other than the second person of the Trinity called the son of man. That's actually the higher title. If you remember in Daniel... Uh, in fact, I, I encourage you to go back and read it, but just search through your, in the book, book of Daniel, search through Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, okay? These, these three men, young men, were being asked to bend their knee to this, to this statue of the king, and they said, we're not going to do it. Well, then you're going to be thrown into the furnace, turned up extra hot. You'll die. We understand, and we know that our God can save us, but even if he doesn't, we will not bend a knee to this idol. They threw him into the furnace, and whatever the viewing glass was that they could look in there, three men went in, but four were walking around. And it says that one like the son of man was with them. And they came out not even smelling like smoke, not a single thread on any of their tunics was, was singed or burned in any way. That's a second person of the Trinity. When Jesus is saying, the son of man is the Lord of the Sabbath, those are fighting words to the Pharisees. He just claimed to be God, therefore, he's blaspheming. God 
going on from that place, or going on from that place, he went to their church. He went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And he said to them, if any one of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a man than the sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went and plotted how they might kill Jesus. On the Sabbath, I might add. Now, I want to I ask us if we see this man. A couple of weeks ago, I mentioned to you that, that I defy you, not in a kind of way, but I defy you to find us a healing where Jesus is first worried about the ailment and then about the person. When we were talking about the man with leprosy, you remember that? When, when he was alone and, and shunned and untouchable and, and he comes to, and falls at the feet of Jesus and the right thing according to the law for Jesus to do is to throw rocks at him till he's dead. But what Jesus does, this man who hasn't been touched, he reaches out his hand and touches him and then says, I'm willing, be clean. He loved him and then fixed him. That's sanctification, folks. Jesus loves you just the way you are, but he's not gonna leave you that way. If you think of the woman with the issue of blood in, in, in the gospel according to John, that Jesus walking on a God-given, Father-God-given mission to go heal this little dying girl. He's walking through the crowded, narrow streets of a small town, and a woman who had been bleeding for years, had run out of all her money, who's, not, who's now unclean, she's an outcast, she's untouchable. She, she decides to risk her life to crawl through the crowd, defiling everyone around her to reach up and touch his cloak. And Jesus walking down the road, and she touches his cloak, and he goes, whoa, 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 who touched me? Disciples, I paraphrase, everyone touched you. You're in a crowd of everyone. What do you mean who touched you? He goes, no, I felt power leave. And this woman, he stops his God-given assignment to go heal this little girl who ends up dying. He brought her back. He interrupted every funeral he ever went to. But nevertheless, she ends up dying. And he calls this woman up and he stands her up. And yes, the issue of bleeding is gone. But she had been alone and now she's restored to community. He, can, he, he, he declares her clean to everyone. He does the same thing with this man here. I'm putting some flesh on the story here. But this man with the shriveled hand, I don't know if he got run over by a chariot. I don't know if he was born that way. More than likely, something happened to his radial and ulnar nerves. If you've ever met someone who is a paraplegic, chest down, some of, the, some of the nerves that go down to the arm, the natural thing that'll happen is there, it's called clawing or hooking. Their, their pinky and then their hand begins to curl in. You notice that mine, if you, oh, it's up on the screen. See how that, this is relaxed here, this is relaxed here. See how that curl, my ulnar and radial nerves were cut. The radial nerve was repaired and regenerated. The ulnar nerve was repaired and never regenerated. So my hand wants to shrivel. It wants to, and it would be wrists and everything. If, if I have a spinal cord injury, it's like this. But if I have one shriveled hand, it's probably that somewhere from my armpit down, those nerves were harmed. So here's this man. It doesn't say that he was a beggar. He's probably not treated well because an injury is considered, an unhealed injury, injury is considered a curse. But this guy, he just went to church. 
He put on a Sunday go to meet in tunic. He showed up to church. He's just trying to do like you and I do. I just want to go to church and remind God that I love him. Be reminded that God loves me. Bring myself under his protection and his provision and align myself with him. And, and I want to know today when I leave that, that, that any, any wrong thoughts that I've had, any misdeeds that I've had, every time I've missed the mark, I just want to know that God forgives me. So here's this man that shows up. He might be alone. He might be with his family. It doesn't matter. But Jesus didn't call him out. But the Pharisees knew he was there because it's their church. And they come up to him and they say, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? They just objectified this man. They just made him a spectacle. Imagine if, we, if some traveling preacher walked in here today and walked up and said, I have the gift of healing. And, and, and I'm here to just, everyone who comes up here will be healed. And someone grabs you. You don't know it and brings you up. Are you going to feel the eyes of every person in the room on you? Are you going to feel like you're made a spectacle? It's not a choice of yours. It's a choice of someone else on your behalf. Someone's playing God in your life. It's no different than the woman caught in adultery who's been brought to the temple court. She didn't have any say in that. And what does Jesus do? I'm going to read it the way I believe he said it. And here's why. I always, it's always about context. A text out of context is a pretext for trouble. The last thing he said is, if you're burdened, come to me. I'm going to give you some rest. I'm humble. I'm gentle. You're going to be okay. And then these people come, these righteous people, these people that are superior to everyone else. They come and they're evidently, evidently, you can't crunch. You can't, you can't do this, put it in your mouth and crunch on the Sabbath, but it's okay to judge someone who's doing it. Apparently, apparently, you can't heal on the Sabbath, but it's okay to objectify another human being on the Sabbath. And you can't do any of that on the Sabbath, but it's okay to plot murder on the Sabbath. These righteous people are actually showing how unrighteous they are by failing to see the humanity in another person. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? If any of you had a sheep and it fell into a pit, don't you think you'd take your arm out and pull it up? How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Of course it's okay to do good on the Sabbath. Sir, reach out your hand. All done. So here's this man that's been objectified, thingified. He's become a pawn in a game he knows nothing about. They're trying to use him to make a move to checkmate Jesus. Can we see the man... Not just Jesus and what he does, but who he is. He takes the attention off of all, the, all those people, all those people on that man, and he puts it on him, and he turns the accusation back onto the accusers. What does that have to do with us? You ever summed anybody up? You ever decided that because someone has a different social view than you or political view than you? Someone of a different ethnic group or language group. Someone that was born in a different country. Someone down the street that doesn't go to the right church or doesn't go to church. Have you ever found yourself going, well, they're just this? Or in the church, sometimes we do this. We, we share prayer concerns, which is an excuse to tell someone about someone doing something wrong. I have a prayer concern. We need to pray for so-and-so because this is what he did. We've just become a Pharisee. Jesus makes it really clear. 
Before you pick the speck out of someone else's eye, take the log out of your own. If you judge another, you're going to be judged. If you don't forgive someone when they harm you or do wrong to you, my father won't forgive you. Now, this isn't to make you feel guilty. It's to show you who Jesus is. What if he came to, ju to judge you and to condemn you, to objectify you, and to size you up on every thought you've ever had, everything you've ever done, every time you were selfish or lustful, every time you were self-righteous, angry, every time you called your brother a fool or called someone raka, mindless, every time you yell at the TV because someone has a different political view than you, what if Jesus came not to save those who are lost, not to heal those that are sick, but to judge those who think they're better than others? We're doomed. See, Jesus sees you and me as a saint who still messes up. And you know and you believe that Jesus loves you just the way you are. But you know what? He loves the person you don't like just the way they are too. And if I'm a follower of Jesus, if I'm a person who's trying to cooperate with the work of God in my life, then I need to love a person as a person, not as a thing, not as an object. They thingified this man. They used him for their betterment. If I treat another person that way, I don't want God to love me. None of us would say that. I don't want God to love me. None of us would say that. But that's what we're doing. If I don't, if God loves my neighbor, whether I don't like him or not, whether I like him or not, and he loves me, if he loves me, I'm supposed to be like him. So if I choose not to love someone because they're not worthy of it, then I'm saying to God, don't love me because I'm not worthy of it. Of course you're not worthy of it. That's what it means that you get mercy, not sacrifice. Mercy is getting what you don't deserve. Excuse me, that's grace. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. So if God doesn't give me what I deserve, then I'm not to give someone else what I think they deserve. See, what usually happens is this person doesn't live up to the expectations I have for them, even though they don't know what those are. But I don't live up to the expectations I have for me. But I don't want to be judged where I fail, but I want to judge another when they do. This is not an accusation. It really isn't. It's a reminder to look for the man, to look for the woman, to see the humanity in other people. Because if we don't, we're taking the rightful place of God in someone else's life. We're, we're lowering them and bringing ourselves up. I'm going to tell you a joke that I hope I can get away with because I was one. St. Peter, some guy dies, and he goes up and he meets St. Peter. And I don't, I don't think St. Peter's Peter is waiting at a gate. You know, maybe it is, but big pearly gates. Well, hey, come in, let me show you around. So if I'm this guy, I'm walking around. I'm like, hey, who, who, what's that big, that really big cathedral with the high steeple and all the staying? Oh, those are the, those are the Catholics. Um, you'll hear a lot of organ and, and there's a lot of chanting and smells and bells. It's pretty cool. 
well, what about over there in the tent, that big, that kind of out, oh, those are the revivalists. They're from down south. They, man, they, yeah, they're running around a little bit. Gets a little crazy, but kind of cool. What about over there with all the statues and all the little, uh, I guess they're called icons. And well, those are the, 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 the Orthodox, the Serbian Orthodox, the Russian Orthodox. Oh, okay. All right. What about, well, those are the Methodists. What about, shh. They think they're up here all by themselves. And that used to be a story told of the frozen chosen Christian Reformed Church. And I was one for 21 years. And those Sabbath rules that I was talking about kind of speak to that. But every church does it. There's something wonderful about all the different distinctives of the different denominations. They remind us that there's more than our experience. Reminds us that God meets us where we are. But as soon as we think that we're up here by ourselves, we've just become the people who judge, who thingify and objectify other people, and who plot to kill on the Sabbath. I'm not saying that it's okay for them if, they, if Saturday is their Sabbath and they plot to kill on the Sabbath, that's bad. But on Sunday, it's okay. I'm not saying to us it's okay to, to call your brother a raka or, or a fool tomorrow, just not, a, just not on Sunday. Can we see the human in others? Or do we just decide that we've got them summed up, we've got them figured out, we've got them pigeonholed? Look, we've all met someone who's dishonest, who will say anything to get their way, who will, who will lie to your face instead of letting you down. We all know a hypocrite when we see one. But here's the thing, folks. Everyone else knows that they know when they look at me and when they look at you. I don't want to be seen as the hypocrite I am. I want to be seen as a child of God, loved by God, a saint who still messes up. It goes back to that love others the way you would have them love you. Treat others the way you would have them treat you. It's not okay, ever, to thingify another human being. It's not okay, ever, to exploit someone for your own benefit. It's not okay, ever, to objectify a human being because they're made in the image of God. And if you're going to objectify a person, you're going to objectify God. And if I see someone else as an object, I'm saying to God, I really don't want you to love me. And I'm not willing to be that. I'm going to mess up tomorrow. But I'm going to confess it. I'm going to repent of it. I'm going to keep going. One last story. When I was a church planter, a couple of years in, I won't use her name, but there was a woman who came to Christ through our ministry. And she quite literally, literally, weeks before, had been there's children in the room, had been selling her body with her two-year-old son at the foot of the bed for drugs. That's pretty awful. I don't think you get more lost than that. And she came to Christ one day at a Sunday meeting. She's sitting in my office two weeks later, 
And she has the worst vocabulary I've ever, I mean, the F-bomb was an adjective, an adverb, a noun, and a verb. She used it as a gerund and a participle. It was just unbelievable. And I'm sitting there going, ah, ooh, okay, you see it in a movie now and then? Okay, ah, ah, ooh. And I wanted to say, don't you know you're in a pastor's office? And it hit me. Two weeks ago, this woman was selling her body. Today, she's dropping F-bombs in a pastor's office, but she's redeemed. How dare me judge her for her vocabulary when God's not judging her for what she did before? How dare me? Can we see the person? No matter who it is. Love. Like Christ loves. Then, if you have the right to be heard, then you can work on change. Jesus loves you just the way you are, and he's not going to leave you that way. And he might call you to be that in someone else's life. But not if you don't love them for who they are first. Can we see the people? Because that's the only thing Jesus sees. Let's pray. Almighty God, These things have been said in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I ask that just as Matthew chapter 12 was put to paper, or papyrus, and then canonized in your scripture so that it will continue to do the work that you've put it out to do, we ask that these words be, be sent out and not return void, that they accomplish in each of our hearts whatever it is that you want it to accomplish. Tonight, Lord, after, after the game is over and our toothpaste hits the toothbrush and our head hits the pillow, remind us. Remind us to see the person. Remind us to love the person just as you've, you see us and you love us. We pray these things in Jesus' name through the power of the Spirit that lives within us for the glory of God our Father. Amen. Okay, the elders don't know I'm doing this, but if you're an elder serving currently in this church and you're here, please come up on the stage for a moment. Terry and Kyle know because I did it to them in, in, in Breakwater. But um, while they're coming up, uh, I just want you to know the pastors and the staff, we get paid to do what we do. Our job is to administer the gospel of reconciliation. Their job is to make sure we're doing that well, to, to oversee the ministries of the church. This is a thankless job. Now, the scripture does tell us to try to make those who are serving on Christ's behalf to make, to make their service a joy. So I know that you pray for Nate, you pray for me, you pray for Kurt, you pray for Doug, you pray for Andrew, you pray for staff, but please pray for these men and women. They, they, they hear every complaint of any person ever issued in the church. They pray, they listen, they do diligent work, and some of them put in hours, four or five hours a Monday several of them, several hours a week. So as you pray for us, I'm asking that you would pray for them. And one, one ministry to me that I would like to ask today is I'm going to grab my stuff as soon as we do the benediction, and I'm going to go to the Mosaic service because I really need communion, and I haven't been in the room yet today when we're serving it. So if you can grab Nate or Kurt or someone if you need to talk or call me tomorrow, I'd appreciate that. But I'm going to ask these people to do these elders to do something that we don't ask them to do very often. I'm going to ask them like a pastor when he puts his hands up in the air, that's a way of saying that we're under the, the, the care of God, like a, like a hen putting her, her, 
her wings out to cover, and that's an actual biblical reference, to cover her chicks. I'm going to ask these men and women to put your arms up in the air. I'll say the words, but put your arms up in the air and pronounce a benediction on these people. The Lord bless you and keep you, make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his countenance toward you, smile at you, and give you peace. And all of God's people say, amen.